to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. This episode, we are exploring the very interesting Fordlandia in Brazil. This was actually requested by a listener who uh, brought it to my attention. Now, they requested an ASM article, but as I kind of started reading uh, the story of Fordlandia, I um, did a little more research and I, I was um, very pleased to stumble upon a write-up from damninteresting.com. And the write-up is so complete and so amazing that rather than reading the wiki page, I thought I would read uh, a good portion of this article. This is the first time that I'm reading anything from damninteresting.com, but let me say it will not be my last. So I'm going to link to the specific article in the show notes, as well as a link to support their work. I already made a donation and plan on um, continuing to do so. I am not affiliated with them in any way. I just think their work is really cool. And, uh, you know, aside from good content for you guys, I always try to support other content creators by promoting uh, their work or through monetary compensation. So, without further ado, let's learn about Ford Landia. In the early 20th century, a cartel of Dutch and English rubber barons had a stranglehold on the vast majority of the world's supply of rubber. At that time, the sole source of rubber was a South American tree whose sap is natural latex. In the 1870s, a gaggle of entrepreneurial smugglers had a secret stash of wild rubber tree seeds out of the Amazon rainforest, which they used to establish a sprawling plantation in East Asia. These smothered the outpost, the output of Brazil, causing their owners to eventually enjoy the majority of the world's rubber business. But by the late 1920s, the infamous automobile tycoon Henry Ford set out to break the back of this rubbery monopoly. His hundreds of thousands of new cars needed millions of tires, which were very expensive to produce when buying raw materials from the established rubber lords. To that end, he established Fordlandia, a tiny piece of America which was transplanted into the Amazon rainforest for a single purpose, to create the largest rubber plantation on the planet. Though enormously ambitious, the project was ultimately a fantastic failure. In the year 1929, Ford hired a native Brazilian named Valares to survey the Amazon for suitable location to host the massive undertaking. Now, Brazil seemed the ideal choice considering that the trees in question were native to the region and the rubber harvest could be shipped to the tire factories in the U.S., by land rather than by sea. On Valori's advice, Ford purchased a 25,000 square kilometer tract of land along the Amazon River and immediately began to develop the area. A barge-toting steamer arrived with earth-moving equipment, a pile driver, tractors, stump pullers, a locomotive, ice-making machines, and prefabricated buildings. Workers began erecting a rubber processing plant as the surrounding area 
was raised of vegetation. Scores of Ford employees were relocated to the site, and over the first few months, an American as apple pie community sprung up from what was once a jungle wilderness. It included a power plant, a modern hospital, a library, a golf course, hotels, and rows of white clapboard houses with wicker patio furniture. As the town's population grew, all manner of business followed, including tailors, shops, bakeries, butcher shops, restaurants, and shoemakers. Fordlandia grew into a thriving community with Model T Fords frequenting the neatly paved streets. Outside of the residential area, long rows of freshly planted saplings soon dotted the landscape. Ford chose not to employ any botanist in the development of Fordlandia's rubber tree fields, instead relying on the cleverness of company engineers. Having no prior knowledge of rubber raising, the engineers made their best guess and planted about 200 trees per acre, despite the fact that there were only about seven wild rubber trees per acre in the Amazon jungle. The plantations of East Asia were packed with flourishing trees, so it seemed reasonable to assume that the tree's native land would be just as accommodating. Henry Ford's miniature America in the jungle attracted a slew of workers. Local laborers were offered a wage of 37 cents a day to work on the fields of Ford Landia, which was about double the normal rate for that line of work. But Ford's effect to transplant America, what he called, quote, the healthy lifestyle, was not limited to American buildings, but also included mandatory, quote, American lifestyle and values. The plantation's cafeterias were self-serve, which was not the local custom, and they provided only American fare, such as hamburgers. Workers had to live in American-style houses, and they were each assigned a number which they had to wear in a badge, the cost of which was deducted from their first paycheck. Brazilian laborers were also required to attend squeaky-clean American festivities on weekends, such as poetry readings, square dancing, and English-language sing-alongs. One of the more jarring cultural differences was Henry Ford's mini-prohibition. Alcohol was strictly forbidden inside Forlandia, even within the workers' homes, on pain of immediate termination. This led some industrious locals to establish businesses of ill repute beyond the outskirts of town, allowing workers to exchange their generous pay for the comforts of rum and women. While the community struggled along along Montepool water, providing the perfect breeding ground for mosquitoes. In December of 1930, after about a year of working in a harsh environment with a strict and disagreeable, quote, healthy lifestyle, the laborers' agitation reached a critical mass in the workers' cafeteria. Having suffered one too many episodes of indigestion and degradation, a Brazilian man stood and shouted, that he would no longer tolerate the conditions. A chorus of voices joined his, and the cacophony was soon joined by an orchestra of banging cups and shattering dishes. Members of Fordlandia's American management fled swiftly to their homes or into the woods, 
some of them chased by machete-wielding workers. A group of managers scrambled to the docks and boarded the boats there, which they moved to the center of the river and out of the reach of the escalating riots. By the time the Brazilian military arrived three days later, the rioters had spent most of their anger. Windows were broken and trucks were overturned, but Fordlandia survived. Work resumed shortly, though the rubber situation had not improved. A British journalist writing for the Indian Rubber Journal visited in 1931 and wrote, quote, In a long history of tropical agriculture, never has such a vast scheme been entered in such a lavish manner and with so little to show for the money. Mr. Ford's scheme is doomed to failure. End quote. The intervening months offered little evidence to counter the journalist's grim depiction. In 1933, after three years with no appreciable quantity of rubber to show for the investment, Henry Ford finally hired a botanist to assess the situation. The botanist tried to coax some fertile rubber trees from the pitiful soil, but he was ultimately forced to conclude that the land was simply unequal to the task. The damp, hilly terrain was terrible for the trees, but excellent for the blight. Unfortunately, no one paid attention to the fact that the land's previous owner was a man named Valares, the same man Henry Ford had hired to choose the plantation site. Henry Ford had been sold a lame portion of land, and Fordlandia was an unadulterated failure. Never one to surrender to circumstances, Ford purchased a new tract of land 50 miles downstream, establishing the town of Belterra. It was more flat and less damp, making it much more suitable for the finicky rubber trees. He also imported some grafts from the East Asian plantations, where the trees had been bred for resistance to the leaf blight. Starting from scratch, the new enterprise showed more promise than its predecessor, but progress was slow. For ten years, Ford's workers labored to transform soil into rubber, yielding a peak output of 750 tons of latex in 1942, far short of that year's goal of 38,000 tons. Be that as it may, Ford's dedication might have eventually paid off if it were not for the fact that scientists developed economical synthetic rubber just as Belterra was establishing itself. In 1945, Ford retired from the rubbering trade, having lost over $20 million in Brazil without ever having set foot there. A company press release announced the abandonment of Belterra with a bland epitaph. Quote, Our war experience has taught us that synthetic rubber is superior to natural rubber for certain of our products. End quote. The Ford Motor Company sold the land back to the Brazilian government for $250,000 a token sum. The solid structures of Fordlandia and Belterra were left largely empty for the decades following the town's demise. Teams of Brazilian workers were tasked with maintaining the areas to preserve the buildings, but the remote locations left the Brazilian government wondering how it could possibly take advantage of the modern facilities. Until recently, the resources have gone largely untapped. Today, the plantation towns are being marketed as stops on Amazon tours. At Bilterra, a building once used to coagulate rubber 
was briefly reanimated for the purpose of producing surgical gloves and condoms, but it was short-lived enterprise. Much of the plantation land is now used for local agriculture, producing crops such as beans, rice, and corn. Many of the town's residents today are squatters. Henry Ford's losses in Fordlandia and Belterra are equivalent to about $200 million in modern dollars. Certainly, he was unable to buy his way into rubber royalty, and his efforts to spread his American healthy lifestyle were met with resentment and hostility. But history has repeatedly shown that obscene wealth gives one the privilege, perhaps even the obligation, to make bizarre and astonishing mistakes on a grand scale. From that perspective, Fordlandia could not have been more successful. Interesting write-up there from damninteresting.com. So I purposely wanted to open with that because I thought it was so interesting. And I did a um, copy-paste here, the uh, wiki page for Fordlandia, which I read, you know, even though now we kind of know what happened. But... It's interesting to sort of have the lore behind Fordlandia. Um, and I thank the listener for giving me the suggestion because it, it's one of those interesting tales, right? It, it's one of those things that, like, if you see it in a movie, you, you think it's totally fiction. But, you know, it's, it's interesting just to learn about it. So, continuing the episode, let's get into the wiki page. Let's get into the 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 simple and plain facts and timeline of everything. Fordlandia is a district and adjacent area of 14,268 square meters or 5,509 square miles in the city of Aveiro in the Brazilian state of Pará. It is located on the east bank of the Tapajos River, roughly 300 kilometers or 190 miles south of the city of Santarém. Uh, let's see. Ford had negotiated a deal with the Brazilian government, granting him a concession of 10,000 square kilometers, or 3,900 square miles, of land on the banks of the Rio Tapajos, near the city of Santarém, Brazil, in exchange for a 9% share in the profits generated. Ford's project failed, and the city was abandoned in 1934. Background. In the 1920s, the Ford Motor Company sought to elude the British monopoly over the supply of rubber, mainly used for producing tires and other car parts. Henry Ford looked for alternatives and a permanent place to establish a colony to produce rubber. Central America was considered However, information about the rubber trees in the Amazon was uncovered, and this, along with other factors, caused a change of plans. Negotiations with the Brazilian government started during the visit by then-governor of the state of Pará, Dionisio Ventas, to the United States to meet Ford. An agreement was signed, and the American industrialists received an area of about 2.5 million acres called Boa Vista. The agreement exempted Ford from taxes on the exportation of goods produced in Brazil in exchange for 9% of the profits, 
7% going to the Brazilian government and 2% of profits to local municipalities. Work on the area began in 1926 by the Ford Company of Brazil. It was immediately hindered by poor logistics and diseases that affected the workers who succumbed to yellow fever and malaria. No roads were available in the area, thus the area was only accessible by the river. The site was developed as a planned community with different areas of the city being designated for the Brazilian workers and the American managers who lived in the so-called American village. Typical American houses were built as were a hospital, school, library, and hotel. The town also had a swimming pool, a playground, and a golf course. In 1928, the Ford Motor Company sent two merchant ships, Lake Ormoc and Lake Farge, loaded with equipment and furnishings ranging from doorknobs to the town's water tower. The town was then founded under the name Fordlandia. Seeking workers, several offices were opened in the cities of Belém and Manaus, and with a promise of good wages, people of the nearby states answered. In lower temperatures, the latex is concentrated in the lower areas of the tree. As the temperature rises during the day, the latex spreads throughout the tree, making the tapping less effective. Due to this, the typical journey of a rubber tapper began early in the morning at around 5 a.m., ending at noon. The plantation was divided into areas and each worker was assigned to a different area to prevent workers from tapping the same trees successfully. The town had a strict set of rules imposed by the managers. Alcohol, women, tobacco, and even football were forbidden, forbidden within the town, including inside the workers' own homes. Inspectors would go from house to house to go check how organized the houses were and to enforce these rules. The inhabitants circumvented these prohibitions by paddling out to merchant riverboats moored beyond the town jurisdiction, often hiding contraband goods inside fruits like watermelons. A small settlement was established eight kilometers or five miles upstream on the island of Innocence, with bars, nightclubs, and brothels. The land was hilly, rocky, and fertile. None of Ford's managers had the requisite knowledge of tropical agriculture. In the wild, the rubber trees were grown apart from each other as a protection mechanism against plagues and diseases, often growing close to bigger trees of other species for added support. In Fordlandia, however, the trees were planted close together in plantations, easy prey for a tree blight, salva, ants, lace bugs, red spiders, and leaf caterpillars. The workers in the plantation were given unfamiliar food, such as hamburgers and canned food, and were forced to live in an American-style housing. Most disliked the way they were treated, being required to wear ID badges and work through the middle of the day under the tropical sun. In 1930, the native workers grew tired of the American food and revolted in the town's cafeteria. This became known as the Breaking Pans. The rebels proceeded to cut the telegraph wires and chased away the managers and even the town's cook into the jungle for a few days until the Brazilian army arrived and the revolt ended. Agreements were then made on the type of food the workers would be served. The 
The government of Brazil was suspicious of any foreign investments, particularly in the northern Amazonian region, and offered little help. It wasn't long before the numerous problems began to take a toll on the project, and the decision was made to relocate. Portlandia was abandoned by the Ford Motor Company in 1934, and the project was relocated downstream to Belterra, 40 kilometers or 25 miles south of the city of Santarém, where the better conditions to grow rubber existed. By 1945, synthetic rubber had been developed, reducing world demand for natural rubber. Ford's investment opportunity dried up overnight without producing any rubber for Ford's tires, and the second town was also abandoned. In 1945, Henry Ford's grandson, Henry Ford II, sold the area comprising both towns back to the Brazilian government for a loss of over $20 million. In spite of the huge investment and numerous in invitations, Henry Ford never visited either of his built-in towns. The town remained inhabited by roughly 90 people until the latter half of the first decade, of the 21st century. No basic services were offered in the area, with medical help only coming by boat at long intervals. That changed when people looking for places to live decided to go back to, into the town, often reclaiming houses. The town, now a district of Aveiro, is home to nearly 3,000 people as of 2017. Most of the original buildings still stand with the exception of the hospital, which was dismantled by looters. But for example, you had the water tower, which was regarded as the symbol of Fordlandia. It was a 50 meter tall water tower. As with most of the equipment in the town, it was built in Michigan and brought to Fordlandia by merchant ship. The hospital was left intact until the late 2000s, when looters completely dismantled the hospitals, the hospital and removed its contents. Before being dismantled, a number of controversies occurred regarding the hospital's x-ray machines. As a local TV station reported, several marked boxes containing radioactive materials were left behind. This generated fears of contamination among the population of nearby towns and cities. With people often mentioning the Guania accident, causing the authorities to remove the materials following the outcry. The town also had a workshop which was a three-story warehouse responsible for manufacturing parts of the machines working in the town. It still stands, and as most of the original equipment, it is now used as a warehouse where most of the artifacts from Ford's era are kept. The second floor of the warehouse was allowed to be used for the processing of seeds for a community project. The oil extracted from those seeds greatly accelerated the rotting of the wood floor, which has collapsed in some areas. The six houses in the American village still had their original furniture, silverware, and even clothes that were left behind uh, when the town was deserted. And then we move on finally to legacy and depictions. The feature London in Brave New World by Aldous Huxley is heavily inspired by the concept of Fordlandia. Uh, Singer-songwriter Kate Campbell had the track entitled Fordlandia on her 2008 album Save the Day. 
Argentinian writer Eduardo Guglia wrote a novel entitled Fordlandia. In November 2008, Icelandic composer Johan Johansson released an album entitled Fordlandia. So, in the PC game The Amazon Trail, the players travel back in time to meet Henry Ford in Fordlandia. So, few interesting depictions and um like i've said before or the beginning of the episode this was the very first time that i had ever heard of uh, forlandia but uh, certainly glad it was brought to my attention i think it was a super interesting um story really to read about learn about you know sometimes when i pick these asm articles just something random that comes into my head but obviously it's something I'm familiar with but um, again I want to thank the listener who made the suggestion thanks again certainly if you listening have an interesting ASM article you'd like me to read you can always reach me by emailing hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com always questions comments suggestions whatever works for you guys works for me send it that way That's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening and take care.